Welcome to Thriving on the Prairie, a podcast exploring issues concerning families and communities that inspires North Dakota movers, shakers, and community difference makers to engage in lifelong learning. I'm Jan Stankiewicz, a community health and nutrition specialist, and I'm with Gina and Michelle from Bismarck Public Schools. Um, We'll be chatting a little bit about Farm to School, what they have going on in Bismarck. Um, So I'll let you guys introduce yourselves, Michelle, Gina. Um, let us know who you are and, and what your role is. Sure. Well, I'm Michelle Wagner, um, dietitian and the child nutrition program director at Bismarck Public Schools. And I'm Gina Giovanoni, purchasing coordinator for Bismarck Public Schools. Awesome. So purchasing coordinator, what what is that? <laughs> it's kind of a roundabout uh, title that does a lot, ha- wears a lot of hats. I order anything from bread to laundry. And of course, what we're talking about today, the fruits and vegetables for the elementary program, mainly. Awesome. And Michelle, so then the child nutrition program director is the oversight of the whole um, like lunch and breakfast and summer meal program for the district, right? Yep. I'm kind of at that uh, 30,000 foot view and oversee all of our elementaries and our secondary schools, um, any of the you know, federal paperwork that has to be done, the bidding process, hiring, all of that kind of stuff, Um, menu planning, work with the team on that, very much rely on the people that, that help support me in this job to make the daily job happen. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine because Bismarck is, is it still the largest school district in the state? We are, yep, we are the largest in the state. Um, We have 18 elementary buildings, we have six secondary buildings, one alternative school. Um, and um, I think we're trying to think what our enrollment is at a little over 13,000 right now. Yeah. So think of 13,000 meals, right? Every day. Yep. We're, we're usually around that 10,000 meal mark um, okay. is usually what we do about every day since not every kid eats every single day, but yep. Um, anywhere from that 10 to even some days, 12,000 meals a day. Yeah, that is a little bit crazy when you think about it. Um, So on a daily basis, you have folks working in the schools, um, you know, serving the food, preparing the food, that sort of thing. But beyond that, what does a day in the life of a school lunch professional like, like you, Gina, what does that look like for you on a daily basis? Uh, daily, uh, since our elementary schools are so small, we are only able to send them a day at a time. A lot of them only have an upright freezer. So every day is um, a big load for them. So they have their full meal that comes out and then their fruits and veggies come out as well as maybe the second run or the next day for the full week. But I'm here at five in the morning. Most days the guys get out about 630. We load four trucks for the 18 different schools and they all have their routes. They all go in their separate directions and then come back for our fill-in since they don't have the room for a lot of food, then we just kind of make up that gap. So if we have to send, you know, a smaller school, a little bit extra from what we projected to what their actual count was, that will come on the 9.30 run. So from nine to 9.30, we get our lunch counts and that's where we kind of make up that gap of initial projections to what they would actually serving that I'm just sitting here trying to think of what that morning looks like and this is every day and so (laughs) you have to you have to find out you 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 
think about and guess what a school might need. And according to the menu plan, it's not all just guessing. I know that. Um, and then you have to wait to find out what, like what students actually are selecting for their lunches. Right. And then feeling, oh my gosh, that is. <laughs> yeah. from nine to nine 30, it is the wild west in here. There is literally chicken flying. <laughs> some days oh man but the yeah. first uh, after this first four week cycle we have a better idea of what well, you know especially with the second options these are a little new for them as well so we have to try to guess how many would have a second option and opposed to the hot lunch and mm-hmm. and then and uh, I guess that's good information for people to know too is that in our elementary schools in Bismarck, there's lots of options for kids, right? So maybe if if some of us haven't been in an elementary school lunchroom in a while, tell us like what to what we can expect in there, what goes on in there. Well, the the girls are there, the girls and guys are there at um, six thirty most days, getting breakfast. They get a, everyone serves a hot breakfast. We have four schools participating in the breakfast in the classroom, so they're doing they're serving every kid a hot breakfast in the classroom. A lot of them, that's just a one, one cook school, three cook school. So they're, they're busy. They, they get their breakfast done and they turn right into lunch and lunch would be, yes, at the elementary level, it's one hot option. And then a secondary option plus a full salad bar. So every student hot or cold gets to go through the salad bar and uh, have a nice array of fruits and vegetables. The secondaries are a lot, a lot more extensive. I'll let Michelle talk about that one. Yeah, at our secondary level, we always have usually two hot options. Um, and then we always have um, pizza and sub sandwiches um, available every single day. Um, so again, it's a lot of guessing until we get through that first four weeks of, of a cycle menu of how much we should make of tater tot hot dish or chicken drumsticks and then how much pizza and how much subs. Um, so it's a lot of guessing kind of those first four weeks. But then after that, we kind of get into a rhythm and a pattern. Um, and then once in a while we get thrown a curveball. like <laughs> yesterday, a lot of schools ran out of tater tot hot dish because the sixth graders just loved it and they ate it all up. Um, and maybe that's because we're using local ground beef for it and it tastes really good. I'm not sure, but, um, they, they took a lot more than what we were expecting. So yeah, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants the other day with that, trying to make up some, some more entree items for them to, to have. Um, and again, at the secondary level, they have very large salad bars. Um, and so every day they're full and we try to put out as much different variety as we can for, for the, for the, at the secondary level. Yeah. For the elementary, it's a little bit more scaled down just because it's sometimes too many options for them. Yeah. That makes sense too, because yeah, knowing your audience, you're, you're not serving the same thing to all the students. Yeah. And by secondary schools, you mean middle schools and high schools, right? So correct. Six through eight and then nine through 12. Yep. Yep. Okay. And I think that's so interesting about the tater tot hot dish (laughs) because I have sixth graders in our house and, um, and I think I heard about the tater tot hot dish yesterday. So (laughs) I I was surprised my son came home and he said, mom, did you know that tater tot hot dish is really good? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I do know. And I was surprised that he took it because it was the first time that it was offered um, oh. this year for those, those sixth graders. So maybe it was just something new. They're excited about it, but yeah, uh, he was surprised how good it was. And it is, it's homemade from scratch, you know? So, mm-hmm. and those it makes are the a difference. things that I, yeah, I know. I think those things do make a difference. And which is a really great segue for most of the topic that we're going to want to talk about today is farm to school. 
um, with October is National Farm to School Month. And Bismarck Public Schools is um, one of the school districts in North Dakota that participates in farm to school. And so when you maybe initially think of farm to school, I know that sometimes I just immediately go to fruits and veggies only. But when you talk about tater tot hot dish and the local beef, tell us a little bit about maybe how that started or how did you get local beef into the schools? Well, I think it it really kind of took off um, last year when we started having some supply chain issues and wondering if we were going to get all of our beef. Typically, we take it off of our commodity trucks. Um, and I know some of those trucks had gotten were canceled um, by the somebody. I'm not sure if it was at the USDA level, if it was at the state level. Um, that is a we whole just, thing. I do yes, not know how uh, you guys handle the different ordering and the different funding. Oh, I don't know. It's just a lot. And you can spare us from all the headache to try to figure all that out, but I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, when we kind of heard like, are we going to get beef or not? You know, we, we really had to try to figure out what we could do because it's not like you can just not have beef on the menu and fill in with chicken because we're on, we're running short on chicken products. We were running short on Turkey products. Um, there's only so much pork that we can do, you know, and so um, we kind of looked and um, went out and had um, Deb Eglin from the state was really good with working with IBAND and reaching out to all of them to try to get them involved with our our products um, or with the, the needs that we needed. And then it really helped um, USDA provided us with uh, supply chain assistance funds. And so we were given um, a lump sum of money, which is great when they can just cut us a check and we are able to control what we want to do with that. Now, the, the caveat was that they that we had to use it on non-processed local foods. And so, you know, ground beef or beef from a local rancher fits into their well, milk, honey, and then, of course, fresh fruits and vegetables all fit into that category. And so we had this funding. And so it was just kind of like the stars aligned where it was like, all right, let's go out to bed and let's try start using some local beef. And so that was kind of the start of our, our local beef um, process. And so um, this past spring, we went out to bid for, um, I think we put in for about 20,000 pounds of raw ground beef that we were looking for. And we had... Um, John from South 40 Beef out in Mott um, replied or responded to that bid process. And so he was awarded the bid and yeah, it's been going great. Um, he comes, I think, almost every other week with a, a fresh delivery um, and we're able to get that out to our secondary schools. And so we're using that raw ground beef in about half of our beef products. Um, mm -hmm. One thing to note with Bismarck Public Schools, we don't have a central kitchen. And so every school cooks their own food. And so it is a lot of work on our, on our kitchen staff to cook that raw beef from, from that state for every single beef meal that we have. So that's why we, we kind of split it. We use some pre-cooked beef that comes from the commodity side and then this local beef for some of those other products. So that's kind of yeah. how we determined what we were gonna do just to try to take it a little bit easier on the staff. I know. And all of those things are so important to think about when, you know, wanting to switch to farm to school or more local products, you know, it sounds, it's definitely doable. It sounds like you guys are doing an amazing job, 
but it's not just like a quick switch right away and everything is local. So there's lots of things to consider with the preparation of it, with the distribution, like getting a local rancher, you know, delivering it to Bismarck, you know, Mott isn't just, you know, just outside of town. It's, you know, it's a decent ways. And so you got to figure out all those things. I also think it was interesting, and I'm glad you mentioned the um, the federal programs that allowed for this sort of thing to kind of get a little more kickstarted. Um, it just feels so good when those things are set up in a way to make it easy and reduce barriers for schools and districts to be able to access local food. So when you say that it was easy for you guys to be able to use the funding on what you wanted, knowing that there's a few of those stipulations, it has to be, you know, local, it can't be, you know, minimally processed, all that stuff. But it also makes you wonder, like, why can't it all be like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, Jan. <laughs> right? Oh. Yes. I think so, we would all like to have just a little bit more control of what we're purchasing and what we're using our funding on. Because mm -hmm. every school is different from Bismarck to Mandan, West Fargo to Fargo. You know, mm -hmm. everybody's a little bit different. Yep. And even when you trickle down further, more rural, smaller schools yep. and districts, that makes a difference too. Yeah. Um, so with moving more and more into farm to school, um, when did you guys start some of your farm to school stuff? How long have you been doing? So I think we were talking about this yesterday, Gina and I were trying to go back and I think it was 2018 was maybe the first year that we went out for bid for farm to school. And so mm -hmm. I think that was our first year that we really had some success with um, Stoll Farms. And, you know, we started really small. They just were providing some cucumbers and tomatoes, but it was at least a start. And so that's, that's kind of, I think, the starting point of, of where, of when it finally took place. Um, I started in my position in 2015, and I felt like it wasn't long after that, that we kind of started getting the conversation going. And, you know, a couple of years later, then I think we finally actually got um, Stoll Farms involved in it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for that too, is the relationship building part of it. You know, it's with the farmer, with the rancher, with, you know, them feeling comfortable with the school district and working with bids and RFPs and, you know, contracts and that sort of thing. And a school district feeling comfortable with a farmer or rancher knowing that the products that they're providing are going to be safe and nutritious and you, um, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of an element of surprise with local food production. And, you know, maybe it's a really poor year for a particular crop or something, but I think that relationship building is so important. And so, you know, looking back, we can say, oh, that, you know, we, we would expect that relationship building would take time, but when you're in that three years, you think it's, it never goes fast enough or builds fast. Right. Enough. Yeah. It seemed like it took forever to kind of get get that going and, and kind of gain the trust of, of the farmers. And I think that's one of the things that we're continuing to work on and that we're still learning and growing through this process is that trust between them and us and, and what we can buy and what we, what we can make work and the mm -hmm. quantities. Yeah, for sure. Um, so 2018, you had one farmer. So let's fast forward to this year. How many farmers are you working with for this school year? And like, what are some of the varieties of, of foods that you're getting from local farmers? 
what did we say, Michelle, we have about 12, 15? Yeah, I think we're at, at 12. And if you add, um, you know, beef and honey, we're at 14 producers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to reiterate about that relationship building. It, it took a while, you know, we started with one and then we would just have little town halls or little, little um, meetings. And then just maybe a couple more would come in or a couple more farmers would come in. And, and just, I think that alleviating some of their fear of, uh, well, what if I don't have a crop? What if I am not able to commit? What if something happens that we'll take what you have? We'll, we'll try, we'll, you know, we can, send it to one school or we can send it to 10 schools. We have a night, we have an outlet for a large variety of items. Like you said, what items are we taking? Tomatoes, cucumbers, those, those fresh that you just can't buy store bought. They're not the same. <laughs> not the same. Yeah. That is amazing. From I think this one... is the first year too. We've taken green beans. Um, yeah. The co-op has able to, was able to process some green beans for us. So I think Gina, did you say we had close to a hundred pounds? Yes. Of yes. green beans and then some corn too. Um, so we were able to take some fresh corn and we'll probably try get that out to some of the schools to put out on the salad bar. That's great. Yeah. So your partnership with the, the Bisman community food co-op, that's a little bit new. And again, to the relationship building and stuff, but tell us a little bit about what's going on with the co-op. Well, I think that was kind of a whole new adventure um, that, <laughs> that started this year. Uh, you know, they were awarded a grant to try help build those relationships. I think it's supposed to be more with like rural groceries and, um, and that, but they can also kind of use some of this to help us. And, and I think it's supposed to help really grow their, their actual co-op. Um, but part of that is growing their business is selling to Bismarck Public Schools. You know, last year, Gina was a saint and kind of worked with all the farmers and just said, sure, I'll take it. I'll take this. I'll take that. Okay. When do you want to meet? Okay, sure. I can be there. Oh, okay. You're not going to be there. Okay. I'll meet you at this time. You know, we get it. Farmers have, have things come up and they say they can make it and something comes up and they can't. And so um, she was really good about, about meeting those farmers down at Moses. That's where we took in most of that, that produce. Um, but we just kind of realized that the more that farmers or producers that we took on, it just wasn't feasible to, to have Gina try to manage that. And so the co-op has been a, a blessing in that sense. Um, they're taking all that produce from those farmers now, and they're processing some of those items for us, um, packaging them up, weighing them out, and then bringing them to us. And so we're just working with the co-op now for, for one delivery versus 12 different producers trying to drop off stuff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really handy. And, you know, a really good, again, a really good partnership where um, it maybe connects a farmer or rancher to the co-op who maybe they weren't already connected and connecting the school district to the co-op. And yeah, that just seems like a really nice, nice tie-in for, for all parties. She just came in with a load of tomatoes. That was her here. <laughs> What timing. Awesome. What timing? <laughs> a day in the life, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So this is all really great. You guys have made amazing strides. Um, but I'm guessing it hasn't been all rainbows and roses this whole time. So tell us like, what would be some of the challenges if 
if a school or a district is looking to kind of start farm to school, or if a farmer or rancher is looking to connect with a school, what are some challenges that they can maybe expect? And then if you would, you know, shed some light on maybe how you overcome some of those challenges, or maybe they, there's, you're still um, addressing them. I think staffing mostly a, a lot of these smaller districts are, are a one man show or one, they're just a one person kitchen serving multiple you know, hundreds of students. So they don't necessarily have the time for production and cutting and slicing and, and, and then reliability, you know, knowing that if I do, if I miss my order of this, am I gonna get it from the farmers? So those are probably some of the bigger challenges those smaller districts have here. You know, even in Bismarck, it's it's a one-man show. So we have a team behind us and we have delivery drivers to be able to take all of the produce to the schools. But as far as processing, it's at Moses with Rochelle and I, and, and that's 300 pounds of cucumbers. So I could see a smaller district trying to go it alone might be a little more difficult, but if you can just ease into it, one, one, one item, and then one item, maybe two items down the road. So. Mm -hmm. I think that is something too, for, it's good for all of us to, to kind of remember is that cooking from scratch, while it's better, and we all know that it, you know, it tastes good, and it's um, all the TLC that gets put into it, but the time it takes for that and the, the quantity and the volume that you're dealing with is, yeah, it just, the time it piles up, that's for sure. Yeah, it really multiplies too. And I think if you think about the equipment too that you need, you know, I think that's maybe a challenge even for us. Um, you know, we don't have the equipment really to like process squash, you know, and so, or to cook squash in these quantities that we're going to need. You know, we have, our state produces I don't, a lot of squash. It would be great to be able to do that. And again, I think that's where the co-op is going to kind of fill that gap where they are putting in for specific equipment so that they can process some of those things for us and hopefully hire some staff to do that um, because we just wouldn't be able to do that at even at our district. So I would assume at some of those smaller schools, districts, you know, they're not going to have the right equipment to be able to do that. And like Gina said, the time it's it's demanding. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. Yeah. So when you um, are looking into working with the co-op and then processing things, so when, um, what are some of the, the products that you'll be getting from the co-op? Like what is it going to be like tomato sauce and squash puree, or what are you looking to get from the co-op when they're, when they're processing for you? I think we're hoping like green beans, and corn are kind of our two to start with. Um, we would love to get like cubed squash so that we can roast our own squash, you know, but mm. we need it. We need it cut and cleaned and cubed um, for us to be able to offer that on the menu. Um, different things like that, you know, like beets, roasted beets, I think would be a nice addition at that secondary level to try. Um, I think the the possibilities may be endless and we don't really even know yet what we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like and Gina maybe said, we're, we're kind of starting small, you know, yeah, we started small with, with Jared and just taking mm -hmm. cucumbers and cherry tomatoes. And now we're like, okay, now we'll take some green beans that have been processed and mm -hmm. some corn that has been processed and we'll see how that goes. And hopefully we can continue to grow that. 
And then, yeah, maybe get into those squashes, different things like that, that we could run during the fall for some special menu items. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a little bit about the tater tot hot dish that sixth graders were going crazy for it because maybe because of the local beef. Um, do you, have you heard any other feedback from the student side or maybe the teacher side about um, any changes or acceptance of the local products in on their plates? I know when we when we like did a, a taste testing between we we did a taco no a, a spaghetti sauce and we did it with the local beef or our commodity beef and the students definitely liked the taste of that local beef better. Um, my cooks will tell you hands down it smells so much better when they're cooking it. Um, they find that they have a higher yield too, um, we, so it's it's a better you know we're getting more out of our product which is nice on the budget side of it. And so I think, I think overall, it's just, it's just been a good, it's just been well-received. And when, um, let's say in the lunchroom, when a local product is served, like are students made aware that it's local or is there any kind of promotion or advertising of that local farm in the school or anything? We sure try. Yeah, we sure try. <laughs> I've definitely made signs. I've, you know, thanked Forager Farms. He was providing us pea shoots almost through um, all winter and and into the fall. And uh, so we definitely try to sign it. Uh, we have our new Farm to School logo, which is kind of just came out. So we have those um, available at all the schools. And I just let them know. I emailed them. Hey, today is fresh tomatoes and fresh cucumbers. Sign it. Today is... Um, fresh pea shoots, sign it. So yeah, that we definitely, a lot of communication. Yeah. That internal communication is huge too. Yeah. Yeah. Letting the communication, I guess, all around with, mm -hmm. you know, parents and administrators, but also internally for your folks to know, yep, these are local tomatoes. These are local cucumbers, put the signs out, all that stuff. Yeah. Again, the coordination and logics, logistics of all this is just mind-blowing. And Michelle, you mentioned a little bit of um, information about budget. So tell us, do you have an endless budget for local food? In oh, wouldn't that be nice <laughs> if you did? <laughs> How is all of this paid for and where, like, what is the funding like for local food stuff? Well, I, I mean, our budget is we're under a federally funded program. And so we have to generate our own revenue to pay for our bills and to do these types of things. Um, so we don't get any money from the general fund, you know, like teachers, custodians, principals, aides, all of those are paid out of the general fund, which comes from local tax dollars. And so child nutrition is kind of like a business within the school. And so we have our own separate funding that can only be used for child nutrition. It can't be used to pay a teacher's salary or aides or custodians. Um, it has to be related to child nutrition. And so um, because we are basically a business, I like to say we're a business with a heart um, because we're feeding kids, I like that. you know, and so we keep the, the kids at the center of the plate and making sure that we're doing the best things for them. We also do have to make sure that we are running on our own or else then we do have to start taking money from the general fund, which means less money for students, for education, for teachers, aides, things like that. Um, and so I guess with that being said, you know, we we rely on our 
our participation at our meals, at lunch, breakfast and lunch, because for each meal that we serve, we get reimbursed from the federal government for that. Um, and then it's also what you pay every day for your students lunch. You know, if you're an elementary student, you're paying $2.35. If you're a secondary student, middles and high schools, they pay $2.85. And so um, even those full pay kids, we do get a little portion from the government to cover that expense of that meal. But yeah, basically we have to generate our own revenue to make sure that we're covering our expenses. Um, and then, like I said, with this year, it's been great with these um, supply chain assistance funds. We've been able to use that money specifically to really grow this program and, and pay that extra money for those fruits and vegetables. Um, I think it is something that's gonna be sustainable moving forward, even if we don't get these supply chain assistance funds in the future. I think USDA is starting to realize how important it is that they maybe give us this money if they want local products and if they want to help build our communities and grow this relationship. Um, but no, unfortunately, it's not an endless supply <laughs> of money um, for this. But, you know, we just kind of you just look at it overall and figure out where you want to put allocate money to and and hope that you have enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I think that that um, that bigger picture of realizing that when supply chains, when timelines, when availability of products gets backed up, that relying on local food systems is what helps. And it can, you know, realizing that it can be done. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, you, you hear about all the stories about people being able to do farm to school and these big robust programs that they have, but it seems like it always takes a long time. And when things can get set up in a way to make it easier, it just makes, it, it makes so much more sense. It's easier. And then going back to what you said, Michelle, the sustainability of it matters too, because it's not something that, you know, I don't think any school district wants to do it for just one year and then um, wipe their hands of it. You know, they want to build and sustain and um, keep taking steps forward. Right. And I think, you know, anytime that we can provide that better quality of a product, whether it's, it's beef, it's fruits and vegetables, it's honey, you know, any of that local stuff that, that is just better, more kids participate in our program then, which then means, you know, more federal reimbursement from the government that helps us continue to build these programs. So, you know, you almost need to like continue this, keep, keep putting these products out there and a, a quality product, a good quality product for these kids so that we can continue to hopefully keep our participation up. Yeah, that's something to, for people who aren't in the school lunch child nutrition world is to know that, um, you know, school lunch doesn't always get the best reputation or have the best reputation, but when kids are changing their mind about foods that they select or trying something for the first time or asking questions about how this grows on the farm, you know, those sorts of things that gets kids thinking, connects them with the food, connects where it comes from, it all makes a difference. And then, you know, those little nuggets, those little stories get passed along to the parents, which always helps in the school lunch world. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I don't think parents understand the the hoops that we kind of have to jump through to produce a meal every day or the guidelines that we have to follow 
Um, you know, we have to look at how many grains we're offering per day and per week. We have how many meats and meat alternates that we're offering every day and then a total for the week. Um, our veggies, we have different subcategories. So we have to offer um, so many red, orange vegetables, dark green vegetables, legumes. Um, I get asked all the time, why do we have beans every week? Well, because the government says we have to. Um, we have to have legumes, baked beans, black beans, different things like that, um, edamame. So we're, they're encouraging us to, to, well, they're saying we have to do that. Basically, we have to offer these things. Um, and then you, you get into the calorie ranges. You know, for K through five, there's certain calorie ranges that we have to stay in between six through eight have calorie ranges, nine through 12 have calorie ranges, you know, and I think that parents don't understand that um, there's saturated fat limits that we have to stay under um, for all of our products. And so really, our meals are one of the are the healthiest meals out there right now, like for school lunch than they've ever been. Um, and it's because of those changes that happened back in 2010 with that Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. And yes, it was very painful to go through that. Um, and I think we're still feeling some of those pains. Um, but I, I definitely think that it was a step in the right direction that we probably needed to take. Um, it might have went a little bit too far at once, but um, we're getting there, you know, we're, we're getting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all feel it a little bit when we have to change what right. we do or our systems. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, just thinking about um, wrapping up, but what else are you wanting folks to know about farm to school and Bismarck public schools? Did we not cover anything, something that you're really wanting to get out there? I just, yeah. Thank you to the the producers out there and, and just, really, uh, like I said, we're just still growing and we're still learning and we're, we're still hitting the bumps in the road and we're now the Kings, but we've got a good team behind us. And, and I'm just very appreciative of that. Yeah. And I think, I guess that's something that I would also like to extend is just like my thanks to you guys for like forging ahead. And, you know, it's, it sounds like it's a lot of hard work, but it also sounds like there's lots of rewards from it. And, lots of um, good things to come from it. So your guys is, it sounds like you're doing really great things. And I appreciate you being on the podcast with me today. Um, I hope folks enjoy it out there. And again, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Jan. Thanks for listening to Thriving on the Prairie. To subscribe to the podcast and access a full transcript and resource links from this episode, visit www.ag.ndsu.edu slash thriving on the prairie. You can find more resources for families and communities on NDSU Extension's website. This has been a production of NDSU Extension, extending knowledge, changing lives.